This morning, um, I usually don't walk up here with my cell phone, but I received an email yesterday that I thought you'd like to hear. It begins, this notice can, how, can now be found in all French churches. And then there's a long writing in French, which I will not read for you because it would make no sense, even if you knew French. Here's the translation. It is possible that upon entering this church, you may hear the call of God. On the other hand, it is not likely that he will contact you by phone. Thank you for turning off your phone. If you would like to talk to God, come in, choose a quiet place, and talk to him. If you would like to see him, send him a text while driving. The French have it right on that topic, that's for sure. I want to thank you for that fresh version of it as well with my soul. Horatio Spofford wrote the original words for that, a Chicago businessman. He was very close to D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody had gone off to England to start a revival crusade. And Horatio was to go with him with his family, but then business matters came up and Horatio stayed home and the family joined him on the trip. It was a cruise across the Atlantic over to England. And while they were cruising, there was a disaster. And all the children of the Horatio Spofford family were lost. He immediately dropped everything, boarded the next ship, and took off. And it was while traveling across the Atlantic, near the spot where the accident had happened, that he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Wow, what a beautiful rendition we had today, though. Thank you for that, Chris. Is it well with your soul? You and God are on good terms with each other. People in your life and you are working it out on good terms with each other. Are you a person who has a well soul today? My prayer is that this morning you'll be helped with the wellness of your soul. And again, before I begin, I want to read a text, but I'd ask you if you'd turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, or if you use a pew Bible, page 1068, John chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, Jesus is speaking with his disciples, and he says this to them. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So we begin. Shalom. Shalom. That's the Hebrew greeting and literally means peace. Peace of mind, peace on earth, peace and quiet, peace with God, peace with neighbor, peace with self. 
The wonderful greeting on Fridays and on Saturdays, Friday evenings and Saturdays in Jerusalem as you walk the streets. Shabbat Shalom. Sabbath peace. Last Sunday we discovered the joy facet of God's diamond of love. In essence, joy is love smiling. This morning we consider the peace facet of God's diamond of love. This aspect of what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Pray with me that God will reveal his character of love that brings peace to us. And that his Holy Spirit who dwells in us Christians will help make peace complete and more contagious in our lives. Let us pray. Holy God and Father, open our minds to receive the truth of your heart, your Son, and your Spirit. Open our hearts to receive your love, our lives, to both celebrate your joy and your peace. And may now the words that come from my mouth be your words for each one of us, including this preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Most famous people throughout history have made comments about peace, what it is and how to get it. George Washington, to be prepared for war is one of the most effectual means of preserving peace. Leo Tolstoy, a good portion of the evils that afflict mankind is due to the erroneous belief that life can be made secure by violence. Andrew Jackson, peace above all things is to be desired, but blood must sometimes be spilled to obtain it in equitable and lasting terms. Martin Luther, cannons and firearms are cruel and damnable machines. I believe them to have been the direct suggestion of the devil. Thomas Akempis, all men desire peace, but very few desire the things that make for peace. Jesus Christ, blessed are the peacemakers. They are truly the children of God. What is peace for you? Is it an evening after the kids have gone to bed and are actually asleep? Is it no arguments at the supper table? Is it a still morning in a boat with your line in the water and starting to get some action on it? Is it a day with nothing to do? Is it a day with something to do? It is, is it the restoration of a relationship that had been broken? What is peace for you? As with all the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible is full of examples of the facet of peace. The reason for this is quite simple. Peace is an essential aspect of God's character. Peace is a fruit of God's Holy Spirit. Peace is a facet of God's love. King David, in writing the Psalms, often writes of peace. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. The prophet Isaiah writes about the promised Messiah in peace language. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Isaiah foretells the work of the Messiah that God will send. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Dr. Luke quotes the angel's peace song to the shepherds on the hills outside the little town of Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jesus, north of the Sea of Galilee, declared, Happy are those who work for peace. God will call them his children. Translated from the Good News Bible. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, wrote, Show a gentle attitude toward everyone. The Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. But in all your prayers, ask God for what you need, always asking him with a thankful heart. And God's peace, which is far beyond human understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union with Christ Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul continuously writes about peace. The God of peace be with you. God has called us to peace. Jesus himself is our peace. Live in peace with one another. May the Lord himself, who is our source of peace, give you peace at all times and in every way. Pursue peace with all people. The fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, peace. Peace, shalom, is what God wants with and for all people. Peace, I believe, is love's goal. It is the end result of genuine love in our lives because of Christ that produces peace, the goal of love. Peace is not merely the absence of war, nor is it the absence of conflict, nor is it the absence of stress. Peace is not the absence of anything. Peace is not oblivious to reality where one can't or won't see troubles or have needs both around them and within their lives. For the Bible, peace is right relationships in every sphere of life. And that is God's goal. That is why Jesus came, so we could get right with God and we could get right with one another. Peace with God. God wants this with us. He has made us, he has wired us to long for it. Peace with people, including oneself, to be at peace with you, who you are, and what you're about. Peace with the earth, the rest of God's creation, both that which lives and that which doesn't. But as with all diamonds, there are flaws, and as with all gardens, there are weeds, there are weeds to peace. There are flaws in peace. All gardens require weeds to be removed so that the proper nutrients of the soil and the right kind of sunlight can help the fruit grow to maturity. The primary weed in the garden of peace that needs to be rooted out is greed. It comes in many forms. Certainly, there's the it's all about me form or what I've begun to call the selfie life. I remember the first time I went to the Grand Canyon. I couldn't help but take a hundred pictures 
of the vastness of the Grand Canyon. The last time I was there, I couldn't believe how many times I filled it up with selfies of me and the Grand Canyon in the background. Afterwards, when I looked at them, I went, oh, it's happening. I caught the disease, the selfie sickness. In an infant, the first words that we remember might be mama or dada. But most often, let's be honest, the first words are no or mine. We don't have to teach them that. It comes so naturally. We have to learn to share. Children don't share naturally. Adults aren't much better. It's a human condition. We have to teach children right relationships with people and with things. And we need to continue to be taught these things as adults. In the Bible, we have examples of the weed of greed. In Luke chapter 12, we read about the rich fool who had an unusually marvelous harvest. And instead of thinking how it could be shared, he thought, what am I going to do with the harvest? I need to build bigger barns. I need more space to put my stuff. I have a friend who recently downsized from a very large home into a condo up in New Hampshire. And you know what he did to deal with the need to downsize? He bought three storage cabinets in a storage lot. Almost everything has been kept. He doesn't see most of it now because it's in three storage containers, large ones to be sure, ones you could park a truck in, and they're full. And then there's the rest of it that he kept for the condo. It's amazing what we do. Or the story in Luke chapter 16 about the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man who lived in this palatial home. And then there was Lazarus who sat in front of the gate to the home begging for years and years. And it says, even the dogs came to him and licked his sores. That's a good thing. It helped. And now they've both died. And the rich man is in Hades and Lazarus is in heaven. And the rich man asks the Lord to send Lazarus as a servant to give him a drop of water. He still didn't get it. Greed permeates our society. How much stuff do you have that you haven't seen in two years? It's somewhere tucked away in the attic or in the basement or on a shelf you built in the garage. I'm only saying this to you because I can say it to me. I've got those shelves, I've got that basement, I've got that attic. Stuff that is not needed. It's needed by somebody, but it's not needed by me, and I haven't seen it in a long time. Carolyn, I need to get to it. Will you help me? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> All right, mutual help needs to be done. Greed, however, is more than the money thing. There's also greed when it comes to our time, when, our, when it comes to our skills, abilities, and talents, when it comes to our spouse, when it comes to our children, when it comes to our church. It's my church. That's my kid. That's my wife. That's my stuff. That's mine. 
We need to consider that weed being pruned from the garden of our lives. That flaw in the diamond of love that God is seeking to shape us into being, into the likeness of Jesus the Christ, being made in his image from the beginning, now being conformed to his likeness. He's building facets in us so that we will shine when his light hits us. And that weed of greed, that flaw of greed needs to be removed. We need to learn how to share. But beware. Just as there are stones that look like gold, we call it fool's gold. And just as there are gems that look like diamonds but are not, so there's artificial peace, not real peace. The false or artificial fruit confused with peace is really apathy, or as we say today, chill, just chill. There's a sense of peace with the attitude, que sera, sera, or carelessness, but these are not peace. These are fleeting moments of appearance like peace, but like fool's gold are not the real thing. Healthy relationships are healthy because they get worked on. There is action. There is give and take. There's mutuality. There's collaboration. There's cooperation. There's finding a common ground and building on that. Apathy is to peace what ignorance is to bliss. You've heard the phrase, have you not? Ignorance is bliss. Hello? Is anybody awake yet? You've heard that? Some of you have. I want to tell you, I'm going to break the mold on this right now. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is ignorance and nothing more. It's all it's ever been. It's all it ever will be. If you don't know, you don't know. And it's not good you don't know. It's not bad you don't know. You just don't know. Ignorance stands on its own. Bliss is what happens emotionally from an uplifting experience or a great insight. Literally, literally bliss is complete happiness, according to Merriam-Webster. And Miriam can be trusted on this. So, what is real peace? Peace is experienced in a healthy relationship with God, with others, with self, and with the earth. Genuine, authentic peace is found in a vital relationship with God who has made himself known, who has kept no secrets, who lived a public life, displayed it openly for all to see, not just those who are already predisposed toward him, but every human being on earth. The Bible is written for anyone to read, anyone to get a picture of what God is like as God displayed himself through his laws and teachings in the Old Testament, his relationship with the people he chose, and through the New Testament in the giving of his son and the building of his church. God has always been in the open. He's never been hidden behind doors. He's never been hidden in the dark. He's always been available for people to get to know who he really is. It's people who hide things. It's people who have attempted even to hide God from others. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God is love. And peace is love's goal. Peace without love is not peace. 
because peace depends upon a relationship of love. Here's how the fruit of God's diamond of love and the facet of peace comes to us. This is the whole theology of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, the peacemaker, comes to our world and to us. He deals with our problem, sin, that which is contrary to what God has declared. Jesus gives us forgiveness freely to us. It cost him, but it's free for us. He helps us to live better. Actually, he helps us to live right. He stays with us even when we fail, whether accidentally or on purpose. He doesn't discard us. He helps us to be at peace within ourselves by forgiving us and paying the price for the failure of our life. He helps us to be at peace with others, to find ways to build the bridge that exists between people who are at odds, whatever the reason might be. In other words, Jesus is peace for us, and he makes peace in us. It's his goal for us to be at peace. It is in Jesus' nature to be a peacemaker. And through salvation, he lives in us and helps us make things right in all of our relationships. Listen to what Jesus says as told by the Apostle John. Peace is what I leave you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. If you want peace, know, K-N-O-W, Jesus. If you don't have peace, it's possible there is no Jesus in you. N-O. As a follower of Jesus, the fruit of love, which is peace, as a goal, is to be part of my life. Not that I've received it as much as that it becomes obvious in how I am. And then to allow Jesus, who's told us to share peace with others by being peacemakers like him ourselves. I want to give you one final example of how this has lived out. It was a long time ago. His name was Telemachus. He was named after the son of Odysseus and Penelope in Greek mythology. But he became a follower of Jesus in the late 300s and early 400s. He chose to leave the world of people and live alone in the mountainous deserts of the East. And by isolation and prayer and meditation and fasting, he strived to work out his salvation and satisfy his soul. He was mending his soul. After many years, he sensed something was missing. One night while he was on his knees, an insight came to him and he, he saw the life of solitude for him was actually selfish, not selfless. Telemachus received a word from the Lord that if he was going to serve God, he must serve people. They cannot be disconnected from each other. And leaving his desert isolation, he returned to Rome where he came from, the capital of his world, 
And to his surprise, Christianity had become the official religion. Christians no longer hid in tombs to worship or to be together. Everything seemed changed except for one thing. One awful aspect of Rome remained, the arena. Christians were no longer thrown to lions for entertainment, but captives of war were forced to fight and kill each other for the pleasure of the spectators in places like the Colosseum. Telemachus followed the swarming crowds to the arena upon his return to Rome. People cried for blood as a man fought against man. Suddenly, this monk climbed over the wall and into the arena and rushed between the two gladiators and totally surprised, they stopped fighting. But the crowd cried, let the games go on. You know how crowds at games can get kind of rowdy. They got more than kind of rowdy. He was pushed back but he again came between the fighting gladiators and now curses thundered, rocks were thrown from angry spectators and still he tried to stop the senseless slaughter of these two captive enemies of Rome. Then the commander's voice barked an order. The gladiator lifted his sword, flashed it in the sunlight and struck the old man dead. Suddenly the crowd was still. There was no noise. They were shocked. While they had cried for the battle to go on, they were shocked that a holy man had been slaughtered before their very eyes. The game ended in silence. The audience melted away. The last known gladiatorial battle in Rome was on January 1, 404 A.D. Telemachus, by dying, ended the games. His death had become more valuable to mankind even than his life, but his life was brought to that moment to be a peacemaker, to put an end to the battles for entertainment. He was willing to do the costly work of peacemaking. Sometimes peace comes with a high price. It cost Telemachus his life, but it brought peace. It cost Jesus his life, but it brought peace to all who would believe in him and allow him to rule in their lives. What price are you and I willing to pay for peace? We are called to be peacemakers. If we want to name ourselves the children of God, we must be peacemakers, Jesus declared it. Will we forgive? It costs to forgive. And the next step is to forget. Are we willing? Will we reconcile? with those at whom we are with odds for whatever reason? Are we willing to pay the price of reconciliation? We desperately need the Holy Spirit to produce the love of God in us and the facet of love, peace, which is God's goal in our lives.
pray with me. Father of love, take us diamonds in the rough and cut into us the facet of genuine peace by making us the peacemakers you desire for us to be. Pour your spirit into our lives. Fill us with the joy and the peace that comes from your love and make us like your son, Jesus, who is the Christ, who is our Lord, and in whose name we pray. Amen.